First John chapter 4. Now, I need to say a few disclaimers. I, this makes me really nervous, this full bathtub behind me. Um, I tend to do this thing when I'm kind of in the sermon. I do a little bit of a rock thing, and I, I just need to say it out there. So, you know, in case, case I go over into and get baptized tonight, uh, you know, I'll tell you, if I do that, I'm going to get back out and keep going, okay? So you got like 20 seconds to laugh it out, and then we're going to keep going through the sermon. So that, that, that's what's going to happen. Um, if you were here last week, you, you heard something incredible. Um, and it, and it's, it's a term that I, I am now calling, thanks to, to Luke Ham, if you were here last week, it's a guy who preached for us, um, calling it explosive exposition. Explosive exposition. What, what do I mean by that? Uh, it was explosive because the intensity of what the guy who was talking matched the intensity of the gospel that he was handling. That whenever we come up here and teach the Bible, it is a big, big deal. It is not a time for me to just kind of talk about whatever I want, but it is the Word of God actually coming through the words in this Bible. And I say exposition, if that's a new word for you, that means it kind of encapsulates the idea of the sermons matching the shape of the text that they're in. Did you see that last week? That it wasn't him just using a text and then bouncing around to make sure his opinions have a Bible verse attached to them. He was in that passage and fed us well. So I was like, man, I left there last night thinking this really is a ministry that can change the world. That we have that kind of intensity on the Bible. And listen, that, that's always our aim here. I'm not interested in, in you guys getting my opinion or my hot take on the current political, social issues. Tonight I am razor focused on making sure that what I say up here is tethered to the text that we are preaching. And here's why. Because I don't want you to rely on the spirit of Dustin or on the spirit of Luke or on the spirit of Adam if you're here on Sunday mornings. We want you to rely on the spirit of the Lord found in his word. And learning to test the spirits and to discern the spirits is going to be what we're talking about tonight. So if you're, hopefully you're already there in 1 John 4. And I'm going to be hypocritical for a second. I said we don't like to bounce around, but we'll bounce around real quick before we go uh, to chapter 4. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write these things down. These are three anchor truths that you need to understand in order to really grasp the reality of these six verses we're looking at tonight. First one is this, that spiritual warfare is a reality that we must come to terms with. Let me say it again. Spiritual warfare in this life is a reality that we must come to terms with. Paul says this in Ephesians 6. He says, For we do not wrestle um, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So I want you to know that before we go into testing the spirits and what is this kind of weird language we're going to be looking at, you need to understand in ministry, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We have an enemy we cannot see. There's a spiritual realm to what we are doing every time we step in to ministry. Uh, anchor truth number two. Part of your maturity as a follower of Christ will be to not be swayed by spiritual warfare attacks of false belief and false doctrine. Here's, here, and Paul says this in that same letter, Ephesians 4. It says, so that we may no longer be children, meaning immature, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful 
schemes. So spiritual warfare is real. And part of your maturity as a follower of Christ is going to be you need to not be tossed to and fro by the next charismatic speaker who says a bunch of things that sound spiritual. We, and listen, this is so prevalent on a college campus. There's going to be so many claims about what the Bible says, about who God is, about who we are. And your job as a follower of Christ is to get strong in the scriptures that you are not tossed to and fro. Anchor truth number three. The most effective attacks, or to use to borrow from the last verse, winds of doctrine that can toss you to and fro, the most effective ones look a lot like the truth. You need to know that. That the ones that are going to be the most effective in tricking you or getting you to drift away from the true gospel, the most effective ones are going to look a lot like the truth. Here's why. Look at 2 Corinthians 11. And no wonder, now the, what he's saying no wonder about is the reality of false teachers disguising themselves as true followers of Christ. So no wonder that happens because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. We must be discerning. Ministry is not just fun and games. There is a war to be fought and there is a war in a world we cannot see. So we got to be discerning. And here's why. Listen, in, in our world, usually, if it looks like a duck, sounds like a duck, smells like a duck, it's usually a duck. Yeah, good work, guys. I, I realize I don't do a lot of call and response here, so that's, you're like, ah, so you want me to say it? Yeah, if it looks like a duck, sounds like a duck, smells like a duck, usually, you see one of those things walking around, it's a duck. But in our case, in the spiritual world, listen, it may look and sound and smell like a duck and actually be a false teacher dressed up like a duck. You need to know that. That it may look close to the truth, it may sound a lot like the truth, but if it doesn't match what the Bible says about the nature of ducks, it's wrong. You've got to be discerning. The spiritual forces are deceptive and tricky and evil, but the Lord doesn't leave us alone. We have his spirit and his word to defeat the lies. And listen, so much of the thrust of the New Testament is about equipping the people of God to detect and defeat false teachers and false doctrine. You can't really read the New Testament and not see that. Like, it seems like there'll be a lot more commands about other things, but a lot of times it's like, Guys, there's going to be people who look like the truth that aren't. Stay away from them. Um, and, and listen, I'm saying words like doctrine tonight. I'm going to say things like theology. And I know there's some pushback that theology is just for the nerds who get their black coffees at the coffee shop with their hardback black journals and buy a bunch of books just to look good on a shelf like this. Um, this is from my house. Um, and also this. I didn't have enough room. And then, also, by my bed, this. So, cards on the table here. I'm the guy who's a little bit nerdy about books. And when I hear things like doctrine, you're all like, what's he reading? Right? The Jesus Storybook Bible. That's weird. It seems like it's for kids. Um, and, I, and I know that it's, it's hard, and sometimes it's like, why should we be reading? Why should we be studying? I would just rather go with... The flow, listen, you need, men and women, you need good doctrine. It matters for your life. Because here's the thing, 
You can fall in love with the God that you created in your head with out-of-context Bible verses. You've got to know that. Our God is so much better than that. And he's given us himself and his truth about him, about us, and about the world, all in his word. So let's look at 1 John chapter 4. It says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we see here, there's a reminder of our identity before we get a twofold command with a reasoning or a grounding that gives us gives the commands that are for us in direction. Let me show you what I mean. The first thing there, beloved, remember, if you are in Christ, listen, you are loved by God. Even as we consider these very real truths about the evil in our world and the spiritual world, we belong to God and nobody messes with God's kids. You've got to know that. We're going to open our mind to a reality that we cannot see, and you need to know to not be afraid. You belong to God. So it reminds us, beloved, here's the negative command here, meaning what we're not supposed to do. We are commanded to not believe every spirit. So what do we mean by believe? Not just intellectual assent here, meaning agreeing with facts. We, it also means to align your desires and your will to the truth claims that you are thinking about and that you are agreeing with. So he's saying, do not believe everything you hear, even if it comes in the name of Christ. You must be discerning. And we also got to define spirit. It might be a weird word, but if I describe it a little bit, I think you'll know what he's getting at here. But clearly there's some sort of energizing force behind these false prophets. Do you see that? That do not believe every spirit. Instead of doing that, test them to see if they're from God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So there's some sort of energizing force in a world we cannot see that is animating the words and the actions of these people who act like they're Christian, but they're not. Um, example of this, you've maybe, heard, you've maybe said this or heard someone say this, that person is just mean-spirited, or that football team had, had so much spirit about them, right? You, you've probably heard these words before, and if, and if you've got that idea in your mind, that's what's going on here. It, it's hard to explain with human vocabulary, but you know and you feel it when you see it. But, but don't, you know, don't miss the point, that there are spirits in the world that we are not supposed to believe and maturity is not just believing the next idea or truth claim that some convincing leader may say with force or good rhetoric. Got to know that. So instead of believing every spirit, we test them. We're to question them. We're to check their claims with the word of God. We are to be a holy skeptic. We are to rigorously examine to test for their genuineness. And I love this. In the original language, that verb there, test, is in the plural, which indicates that we're all in this together as we fight against false things about our Christ. We're all on the team. We are called to test every claim and test every spirit to ensure that it is in line with the word of God. Listen, including me. Never just take what I have to say for granted. I am fallible. I can make mistakes. The word of God is where truth is. And here's why we do this. It says it right at the end. Why do we not believe everything and why do we test everything? 
Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We'll face external attack from persecution. We'll face internal attack from false prophets and false teaching. And they are internal because they claim to be of us. Literally, demonically inspired missionaries on a satanic agenda. The opposite of what we are trying to do. And listen, those spirits, those things, they're going out. You need to know that. People that we interact with, that we care about, that we want to know and follow Jesus, you need to know if they aren't following Jesus, they are following one of these wrong spirits. So they're going out, but the question is, will we go out and go against them? We're going to step up in this spiritual warfare. Look at verse 2. It says this, By this you know the Spirit of God. Okay, that's good, right? we got to know this if we're going to test which spirits are wrong. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. So we need to know the true spirit to be able to overcome the false spirits in the spiritual warfare. So here's how we can know. This is good if you're taking notes. Here's how you can know that the truth claims you are hearing from some teacher or website or institution animated by a false spirit or to, be, to see if that spirit is false. Here's how you can know. If it confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Because every spirit that does not confess a biblical Jesus proves themselves to not be of God. So it really does come down to this. What do you think of Jesus? Jesus himself posed this question to his disciples when they were following him during his three years of ministry. They came back to him and they gave him a report of, of well, who people thought that he was. And he turned the table on them and said, okay, I understand what they say about me. Who do you say I am? You must come to terms with this, with yourself. So believers in the room, those of you that have chosen to follow Jesus and have, by faith and by his grace have come to be saved, is the Jesus that you are following the real Jesus? Does he match up to who he says he is in the word? It is possible to be saved and then be tricked by demonic activity that overcomes you and robs you of the joy that you can have in Jesus. That's true. And people in the room who aren't following Jesus with a room this size, there's no way I can assume that all of us claim to follow Christ. You've got to deal with this too. Whether you like it or not, you have opinions about God. You are a theologian. You are made in God's image and because of that, you're going to worship something. You will follow some spirit in this world. The biblical Jesus is the God of the universe. And it is what you do in this life in response to who he is that truly matters. It doesn't matter how fervently you believe the other wrong things. Jesus is asking, who do you say that he is? So this is how we test we ask who they say Jesus is. Is he Lord? Is he Savior? Is he holy? Is he really the God-man? These aren't just Bible trivia questions. Really, really matter. 
And he ups the ante, right? Like he says, not only these things just wrong, they are actually testifying to the spirit of the Antichrist that we have heard was coming and is now in the world. So if Antichrist or against Christ spirits are in the world, any beliefs that would cause us to sin or to be tempted are Antichrist. And they are in the world. And I could do a quick survey and we could prove that over and over again. What about the spirit of secret sin in your life? The spirit of depression or anxiety or relational tension? The spirit that causes powerful people to take advantage of weak people. The spirit of addiction. The spirit of crippling shame. All of these demonic things in our world exist. And they are working against the spirit of Christ in us as we pour out to others so that they might be rescued from these evil spirits. Here's the reality, guys. We have to go here. All of these other spirits other than the spirit of Christ are leading people to hell. And don't slide into, you know, the devil made me do it or some kind of excuse for why you are just as twisted as the world outside of here. We're all sinful by nature and by choice. And the evil spirits in the world just capitalize on that because we want to rebel against God already. The more, really the most deceptive part, we hit on this in the introduction, is that some of these spirits can look a lot like a real gospel. Here's what I mean. The first prominent almost gospel that we are tempted to believe, it's this one. We'll call it the therapeutic gospel. The therapeutic gospel would say that the main problem with humanity is that people haven't reached their true potential. And the good news is that Jesus died to show us our inherent worth and to unleash our self-esteem. And the church's job is to help us live our best life now. That's prevalent. There are a lot of people who would be totally fine with following Jesus if this was the good news. And how often do we slip into this? The moment with something, we get that phone call that changes our life or everything gets taken out from under us and we think, I'm not living my, I thought this whole thing was about me being self-actualized and, and, and self Love, that's a therapeutic gospel that is not true. It cannot save and it will not change you. The next one, prevalent almost gospels, the judgmentless gospel. The problem, they would say, is that people make mistakes but do not deserve punishment. The good news is that Jesus died to defeat our enemies but not to take our deserved wrath. And the church's job is to affirm people in their lives and not to evangelize or pursue holiness. Because why would you? And this is going to sound crazy. But this is the one that we actually slide into more than any other. And it's not because I don't think some of y'all who have been following Jesus believe in hell. But we fall in line with what a judgmentless gospel would do in a church. There's no reason to evangelize if people aren't getting deserved punishment. And I have to wrestle with this, y'all. Like, don't think I come up here behind a music stand pulpit and put on Superman cape and think that I'm just living every second of my life. The people who know me best know this is not the case. 
If you're in a D group with me, you get unloaded with my mistakes for the week. <laughs> Wally's shaking his head. I'm not supposed to do that, Wally. But, but here, here's the idea. Is that we have to come to terms as a ministry that if we are going to believe in what God actually says in his gospel, for good news to be good, there's bad news that is bad. And the judgmentless gospel would say, why evangelize or pursue holiness? There's no wrath. Next one. The moralistic gospel. The problem with people is that they are morally neutral and do good sometimes and then do bad sometimes. The good news that they would preach in this moralistic gospel Baptist church is that the good news is that Jesus showed us how to live and then told us how to live so that we can have blessings in this life. And the church's job is to live together and affirm each other in keeping our community's standards. This makes the God of the universe a God that isn't honest about people being responsible. We are not morally neutral people. We are completely sinful in need of redemption. Next one. The activist gospel. The problem is, not humans. The only reason humans mess up is because we live in a broken world. And the good news is that humans can work to create culture change that will bring God's kingdom through power in politics. And the church's job is to rally people around a cause and mobilize people to vote and debate. Mostly seen on social media. This makes the God of the universe only the God, a God that doesn't hold individuals responsible for their actions. Our systems are broken, yes, but it's because of human sin. And we are redeemed as individuals and commissioned to cultivate gospel change in our culture by fighting for the hearts of individuals while fighting for change in our institutions. Activist gospel. And don't just like check this one off in your head as if like because you didn't vote for Trump that you're not an activist. Politics can slip in to all of our lives. Not just the, the next voting issue, but if we elevate any issue over what Jesus has done for sinners, our good news becomes, let's go change the culture without a Christ that changed us. Last one, churchless gospel. The problem is that we have an individual need for salvation. Now that's, that is true, but it's not all true. The good news is only about redeeming individuals. And the church's job is just an option for the people of God. Or, better yet, a hindrance to their individual pursuit of Him. We need to know that God is not just the God of individuals, but God sent His Son to redeem a bride, a people of God. Yes, we are saved individually, but we are saved to belong to the people of God. The church is how the kingdom of God is manifested to the world and is God's plan A of bringing the gospel to the world. Listen, that's the whole reason this ministry even exists. We're convinced that campus ministry is done best through local church and that the best thing you can do is not put on a cool t-shirt and walk around campus belonging to a group, including Campus Collective. The thing you are saved to is the local church. Church membership matters. It is an important thing for your pursuit of Christ. There will be people who say, I love Jesus, but hate the church. That's nonsense. That's like coming up to me and saying, man, Dustin, I really love you, but hate Courtney. 
That ain't going to fly. You don't get to love me and not love my bride. Churchless gospel. Listen, we've got to have our eyes open. These things seem right and have elements of the truth in them, but they are slight distortions that can lead to a big drift away from the truth. An almost gospel is a gospel that can't save and has no power to change you. So if you're a believer in the room and you slide into one of these, eventually your life is going to tank into despair and you're going to believe wrong things about God. That's not the gospel he gave us to save us, but also to change us. Look at the last three verses of this. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. I love this. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. And we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, we're going to come back to verse 4 to end this message. But I want to focus on a few of these truths up there. That first one being that they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. So, that they there is talking about these false teachers animated by false spirits. They are from the world, meaning they are from the system that is opposed to God. They're opposed to God, meaning they are controlled by the enemy. And because they are from this, then they speak worldly ideas from their mouths. And even more so, the world listens to this because people far from God will naturally want to hear things that already affirm what they think is true. Y'all remember from last fall? Nobody's like, no, don't remember at all. I'll remind you. Second Timothy chapter 4 said this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. This is a reality we've got to deal with if we're going to share the gospel on campus. Listen, people aren't going to like the message. So much so that they might accumulate teachers that just... Some translations say, tickle their ears or scratch their itching ears of things I want to hear. I want to be affirmed in my sin. And it's not us trying to be bigoted or us trying to win some argument with sheer force. We come broken because we know these things don't save people. I need to say this. If If you're here tonight and these things are wrestling with this and and you've even had any interest at all in knowing more about what the Bible says about Jesus, then I can assure you that the Lord is clearly working in your life. You need to respond to that. You need to ask yourself why you keep coming to a thing where people sing about a thing you don't like and listen to a lesson about something you don't believe in. Wrestle with this. This matters. This is truth and error, life and death stuff. He goes on and says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to God. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So the we here is talking about the apostles. These were men who were chosen to have authority to write scripture. So it's not like any of us can be like, if you don't listen to me, then you're not listening to God. That's not what we can say, but it's what the apostles were saying. 
The word we have is from God. You should know that as a person following Jesus, you should want to follow all of the word. All of the Bible is God's word for his followers, not just the red letters. The whole Bible should be in red font. And I take a little stab at that. And I, and I don't get, I'm not trying to like poke fun if you have a red letter Bible right now. I'm not saying that. But every time I write like lesson outlines, I put all the text in red just to like, ha, they're all red. Um, but it's important. It's important. Because you, you slide into some of these. And listen, I've heard this from people that I know and love this year. That people will try to tell you that you need more than the Bible. That people will try to tell you there is more spiritual information out there. It, it kind of masquerades itself in things like, well, this is the historical Jesus. You heard that? doesn't really match what biblical Jesus or things like the Bible didn't include everything. Um, they add to the Bible or, or maybe they'll try to take away from the Bible. This is common. Paul and Jesus didn't agree on this issue. Or the Bible, when it said that, didn't actually mean that. Listen, that's nonsense. We're going to be people of the book that can fight lies. You've got to be people who embrace the whole book. The spirit of error is any spirit that isn't fully submitted to Jesus Christ, who rules his people by his word. So fight this battle. Reject false claims about Christ. Reject false ideas about the nature of God. Reject false ideas about the nature of His people. Embrace the role Jesus gave to His church. We 